passage. 1 Timothy 3, beginning verse 8, Paul says, Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let those also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain them for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And Father, we just collectively stand here, Lord. Uh, we're, we're sort of standing at attention before you and your presence, Lord. And we want our marching orders from the word of God as good soldiers of Jesus Christ, Lord. We want to serve you effectively and be useful to serve you in your kingdom. So, Lord, we ask as always, would you help us now to continue to worship by giving our attention and our openness and our heart and mind to the truth and the authority of the word of God. Lord, would you speak by your spirit through what you've already spoken here by your spirit's written word, and we ask these things expectantly in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, someone walks with Jesus, it's important that their life should more and more be marked by the nature of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that, that as the Holy Spirit works within us, he is seeking to conform us into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. And certainly that will include numerous things. One thing, however, that ranks high upon that list, I believe, is that the Christian should be reflecting Jesus Christ as being someone who is a humble servant. One of the clear characterizing marks of our Lord that we see displayed in his way of life as a man as we study the New Testament is that Jesus was a humble servant. John chapter 13 is probably one of the greatest illustrations of that we all know, where Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet at dinner, and he said, if I, your Lord and Master, have done these things, how much more ought you to do the same? And he told them that he was doing this as an example to the rest of them as disciples that they would follow that they as well would be humble servants and engage in humble forms of servanthood to bless one another. Jesus also made statements at times where he would say, I am among you as one who serves. Jesus would say things like that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So therefore, the healthy Christian life should be marked by servanthood. It genuinely should. There should be a clear distinction from when we weren't saved to when we've gotten saved and as we progress and grow as a Christian, more and more, there should be that characterizing mark in our life as a follower of Jesus that we are a servant-hearted person and that we are actively serving people around us, whether that's in our family, in our job, within the church, out in the world. As the Spirit of Christ rules within us, he will direct us to engage in serving. Now, that being said, it is also just as true that the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, the ministry of serving among his church in the various forms we can, it is also a sacred privilege. It is a high honor to be able to be able to touch anything of the blood-bought kingdom of God. I hope you never lose the wonder and the shock in your life as a Christian that not only are you saved, but that you actually get to serve Jesus. You actually get to touch something of the kingdom of God as an incredible privilege. And today's text addresses, therefore, some of the qualifications biblically that a person must possess to be an active servant in the church. And God puts these in here for us in this section. Remember, he's addressing things regarding how the church is to function and operate. And particularly, Paul's addressing qualifications for leadership here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, as well as qualifications for those serving in God's ministry. We saw last time in verses 1 through 7, the addressing of qualifications, which should be identifiable things, 
as well as things also that remain as far as character and behavior in the life of a man we saw last time who functions as an overseer within the church, or also we might say a an elder or a pastor. Oftentimes these terms are used interchangeably. That Again, the main function of the elder, the overseer, the pastor, is primarily giving themselves to the spiritual things of the church. That is, to the ministry of the word of God in teaching and counseling, to the ministry of prayer and seeking the Lord's will for the congregation and the governance and the leadership of the body of Christ tending the flock. And now as we come to verse 8 and move onward, he turns to, in a sense, address those who serve in a complementary role together with the elders, the overseer, the pastor, those who have mainly, we might say, a practical form of service in church life. Those who give themselves, he's going to talk about the deacons, to attending to the physical things, to the material aspects, to the practical functions of church life, which is a great part of the church operation as well. There are many spiritual components and there are many practical kind of physical aspects of the church as well. So having addressed the list of the character traits that should be observable in the elder and the overseer, look with me in verse 8. He then goes on to then say in verse 8, likewise, which is a word that means in the same manner, in a similar fashion, likewise, and he's going to say character is also essential, he's going to say, for the deacons as well. In the same way he went through that list in verses 1 through 7, he says we also need to find and have deeply spiritual, moral, and solid people who are serving as servants in practical matters, mature believers in their role. And here he uses the term deacons. Likewise, he says deacons must also be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, and not greedy for money. Now, the term that's used there, deacons, in the Greek, diakonos, and you could tell that's why we got the English word deacon from that, is basically a term from the language that just means one who serves. So when you see this term deacon, that is what it's implying, one who serves. And it speaks, I believe, both of a function, one who is serving, as well as I think it also speaks secondarily of a role at times, of an actual office of one who serves, a servant leader, maybe a servant leader in a particular area of ministry or, or oversight that gives themselves. So it speaks of a spiritual function first and foremost in the sense that this is the way that a person should be operating as a servant of the Lord. That is, this is describing the person who actively seeks to serve and minister. I might say it this way, the person who's a Christian who does not just have the consumer mentality as a Christian. You know, we, we hear people say today, I, I honestly just get a little bit perturbed by the statement, I'm shopping for a church. I mean, it's just such a bad statement. Say looking. <laughs> I understand sometimes the Lord moves us from one congregation to another. Maybe something happens or just seasons change or whatever. But you know, I'm looking for a new congregation to settle into, to plant myself, to be a part of a different body of believers for whatever the reasons. But this idea of shopping for a church, it, it's such a consumer mindset. The idea is I'm looking for, do they have good deals and do they have good stuff and what can I get for myself? And, but that is a, a really immature mindset from a Christian perspective. Certainly, I, I want to be in a church where there's sound doctrine and I can be ministered to and my family can be ministered to. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but the Christian life is supposed to have both an inlet and an outlet. So the idea is, as a Christian, I'm not supposed to be just a consumer where I just am looking to get what I can get. But as Christians, we're actually called to be contributors. Uh, Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so part of the heart mindset should be in any congregation the Lord leads us to that we would be one who serves, that we would have a deacon mindset, if you would, to say, Lord, I believe this is where maybe you're calling me, you're calling my family, and certainly I need to receive, but how can I also serve? What can I do? What can I bring to this body of believers to serve and to help and to, to add something in a complimentary way to help or to support. Again, the idea here is just one who's addressing needs, one who's caring for things, one who serves. We might say it's the hands-on Christian. 
The one who's not just sitting there, but is finding practical ways to become involved, to serve God's people. And look, that happens in a broad range of ways among the body of Christ. There is a ton of practical service that's a part of church life. If you came in this morning, you might have noticed that the bathrooms weren't filthy and disgusting. How do you think they got that way? People clean those. If you went into one of the stalls, you might have been really glad there was toilet paper in there. How do you think they stay stocked? <laughs> Again, as we come in, there's coffee in the back, and the plunger's not empty. Praise the Lord. That's right. <laughs> the way Tony teaches, everybody, a lot of coffee in there, man. You know, just... <laughs> And again, there are all these practical components from cleaning to taking care of coffee to, you know, working the AV stuff to ushers and greeters to, you know, all these practical things that take place, you know, managing resources. You know, we bring our tithes and offerings in. Aren't you glad somebody doesn't just shove them in their pocket? No, there's, there's always at least three different men who rotate through for sake of accountability and who you know, count and document and record the tithe money. And then that goes to a second set of different hands afterwards who then deposit the money. And again, there are all these practical things that happen as the church functions. And every Christian, the Bible teaches, has gifts. We are all called to serve. We've all received spiritual gifts. And so we should be someone sharing the load in the Lord's work like a body with all of its different members. It works in a complementary way. Each part fulfills its function but it's dependent upon the different roles of others who contribute things in their function. And again, Ephesians 4 says that when the church functions in this way and each part does its share, that the body is healthy and it grows and it flourishes. So in some ways, as a person or a Christian doesn't do their share, technically, biblically speaking, Ephesians 4, you could be stunning the growth of the body of Christ, the Bible says. Because if each part were doing its share, instead of one man doing 10 work, you have 10 men doing 10 different jobs, and, and something wonderful begins to happen as we see that part. Hey, I have a purpose. I have a role. Again, everybody should be one who serves, one who deacons. In fact, interestingly enough, Jesus' statements in the New Testament about being a servant, which I alluded to when we first began, he uses that same Greek term, diakonos. So, for example, in Mark 10, when Jesus called the disciples to himself, he said this, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, that is people in the world, they lord it over them. That is, they, they're harsh in their leadership and their great ones exercise authority over them. And then Jesus said this to his disciples, yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. The Greek word is your diakonos. Whoever wants to be great should be your deacon. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. The language, even the Son of Man did not come to be deaconed, but to deacon. That's what Jesus said of himself, the Lord himself. Luke, he said, I am among you as one who serves. Again, it's among you as one who deacons, one who is deaconing, serving. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, whoever's the greatest should be your servant. Again, it's that term, our term here should be your deacon. Now, this also, I think, as well, fulfills the aspect of a role and an office where maybe someone, whether it's in a formal recognition, has a leadership role of some aspect of church ministry, or maybe just in an informal way. And quite honestly, I think that that is a more wonderful and healthy way. I don't think titles are always necessary. I'm not big on giving people titles and roles. I've seen too much over the years in ministry when you know somebody's really just doing wonderful things serving, and then you give them a title and they become a knucklehead. And just all of a sudden, you know, they got their badge on and they get territorial and weird or something. But just until I told you you were in charge of that, you weren't weird. And so sometimes, I, not to say that a title or a role or something, is, is wrong in any way, but by the same token, it, it, when I read the New Testament, the book of Acts, they don't add in organization or structure until it's absolutely essential if you read your Bible, until it's necessary. Again, nothing more beautiful, it's often been said before, there's no limit to what God can do through a group of people who no one cares who's getting the glory. And there's something very wonderful in that. But I do think whether it's in an informal way or in a formal recognized way, this deacon role can also be sort of an office. Again, a person who primarily gives their attention 
to the physical material things, but they are the individuals doing the practical work of the Lord. And in so doing, the practical work of the Lord, they free up then the elders, the pastors in that calling to focus on the spiritual matters more efficiently. I told you to mark in your Bibles, if you'll turn with me quickly, if you want, if not, you don't have to, Acts chapter six, I think we see this illustrated in the early church, this idea that we're talking about here of the deacon role, the ministry, the function of a deacon. Acts chapter six, we're told this regarding the early church, which at this point is actually somewhere probably in the thousands of people. And it tells us this in Acts chapter six. Now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, so there was a degree of church growth going on, there arose a complaint. So that goes with church growth. Church growth, more complaining. It happens. Don't like this, don't like that. There arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, two different groups in the church, the Hebrews and the Greeks, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. They felt that they were being overlooked. Their widows weren't being taken care of in this widow program as they were ministering practical help and probably monetary and food assistance to the widows. They were upset. They felt they weren't being treated properly. So then the 12, this is the apostles, summoned the multitude of the disciples and they said to them, now watch what they say. It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now they're not saying we're above serving tables. Apparently they were serving tables. <laughs> That's the whole point. The 12 were engaged helping serve tables and helping to wait on practical needs and run the widow's program and the benevolent. And because they were doing that, in a way they recognized, okay, look, what's beginning to happen here is we're giving undue attention to this. And now it's in a sense beginning to now interrupt us putting our primary time and our primary effort and in some way stewardship wise, maybe it was beginning to suffer. They were praying less or preparing more or teaching less or doing it less effectively because they were preoccupied in practical tasks. And so they say, look, from God's heart, it's probably not very desirable that we should leave the word of God. If you begin to leave the word of God, the church is going to suffer and struggle and everything's going to go downhill, right? Because that's the spiritual health of the church. So they're saying, look, it's not wise that we leave the word of God in order to keep serving tables as we are. Therefore, here's their solution. Seek from among yourselves seven men of good reputation. So they had to have good character reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business, who we can give this responsibility to. But we, verse four, will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Hey, let's appoint these men over this so that we can continue to fully give ourselves to our calling, to our primary gifting and responsibility, to the ministry of the word of God and prayer, the spiritual things. And the saying, verse five, pleased the whole multitude. Now, you know it's from the Lord when the whole church is pleased. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenaeus and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they prayed, they laid hands on them. In a sense, they recognized them for this responsibility before the people. And then, look what verse 7 says, the word of God spread. Things began to flourish as God's word went forth in a more effective way. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of even, notice, the priests, the Jewish priests, became obedient to the faith. So we see here this function beginning to kind of take uh, root here in the early church where there was this recognition, hey, there are spiritual things and practical things, and we just we each need to be wise in our stewardship and, and kind of spreading out the roles and responsibilities. And at times they had to initiate these kind of things. Certainly it's just the beginning of a pattern to keep the church healthy in that way. But I do want you to notice those who were given this responsibility of the widow's ministry, the benevolence ministry, the food ministry, practical things, whatever you want to refer to it as here, notice those who were waiting on tables had to be those who were of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom. 
They couldn't be spiritual slack-offs. They needed to be solid spiritual men, God says. Individuals who would be led by the Spirit in doing those things and doing it well. They were required to be deeply spiritual. Now, you want to turn back with me to 1 Timothy as that with kind of a, a backdrop and understanding, that's why we see these further qualifications that need to be present in deacons, those serving, those who are functioning in that way. We might call them practical church servants because the ministry of God is both spiritual and practical simultaneous. And not one is more sacred and important than the other. They, they, they function back and forth in conjunction. And one definitely affects the other. So again, verse 8, he says, just like the qualifications, member of overseers and elders, verses 1 through 7, the emphasis was mainly upon solid what? Character, right? And so he says, look, likewise, same thing with deacons. Deacons also must be those with strong, solid, moral, godly character. Likewise, deacons, he says, verse 8, first of all, must be reverent. And that word reverent means someone who's honorable, someone whose your translation may render that dignified. It refers to a serious-minded person who shows deep respect for things, someone who's a dignified person, they're serious, they, they hold strong respect for the things of the Lord, for the things of the church. They're the kind of person who takes serving God and his church as a very serious duty. They're the kind of person, though we don't do it anymore now, of course, which I'm fine with that. Uh, we used to use paper bulletins, right? And, and you had to fold those things. But do you fold a paper bulletin nice and neat or do you not fold it nice and neat? Oh, it's just a bulletin. Well, that's the Lord's bulletin. <laughs> so the person who's dignified, who's reverent, they, they, they take every, this is the Lord's. And so this is for the Lord. And so again, that's the idea, very serious minded about whatever we do for the Lord, that we want to do it in a way with reverence and we have reverence for God and the importance of his work. And this is the idea here, operating with integrity and excellence in whatever we address. And therefore that causes us to be well-respected. And look, this is important. Think of it because a servant who's careless or who's sloppy or unreliable or lazy, that indicates they're not respectful in their stewardship of what they're managing. That'd be the same in an employment place as well, in a job. If someone's lazy and careless and sloppy and irresponsible, they show that they are not a very good steward in what they manage for their company. Well, the same is true spiritually. A good servant should be conscientious and diligent. They should take their work and duties seriously with reverence with respect of its importance. Deacons can't be those who are careless or acting like a goofball and failing to take things seriously. There needs to be a seriousness to the mindset of what they do. They have to take matters they handle as important and be good stewards in what they manage, whether it's resources or duties or things that they attend to. And if someone is handling practical things of ministry, and can I go a step further as I mentioned earlier, if they're handling money, I think we want them to be a dignified person in the church. I would think that we would certainly want them to be a respectful person who has a degree of respect and therefore is effective in what they do. So they should be reverent, he says. Secondarily, that he says the deacon cannot be double-tongued. The one who serves as a church servant can't be double-tongued. The language is literally one saying two different things. And the idea is saying two different things with two different people or two different groups. It speaks to someone who unfortunately could be insincere or dishonest or deceptive. Their character is not solid. They're someone who says one thing with one person, but then when they're talking to someone else, they'll say something completely different or change the facts or whatever. And again, whether that's trying to gain approval as a people pleaser or whether struggling with lying or just being a critical slanderer, the, the, the church servant cannot be someone who talks one way with one person and then goes over here and begins to badmouth with another person. They can't be someone who's aware of things or hearing about things, and then they run off and they criticize those things over here where they were just talking with another person. God says, look, that's not healthy. His servants cannot be those, who, let me just be candid, who are running their mouths in wrong ways. Because if you are involved in the work of the Lord and serving God's people, 
you're going to be aware of things. You're going to be aware of people's lives and maybe who's struggling financially or you know, who needed some help. or you know, You're just going to be conscious and aware of things in people's lives, and you need to have the ability to protect sensitive things and to honor that and to be self-controlled with your mouth. So the deacon cannot be someone who has an integrity problem or the kind of person who has a mouth problem. God says they're, they're not good church servants. They need to be someone who has that under control. He also says, thirdly, in verse 8, they cannot be given to much wine. The language is literally they can't be given to drunkenness. So the idea here is they can't be someone who's prone to abusing their liberty of drinking alcohol. If there's someone who can't regulate their own passions and use moderation, if they're not the kind of believer who understands the importance of living within balance and they don't have self-control in that area, he says they don't become a very good church servant because they could be someone who's not reliable. They could be someone who's not a very good witness, someone who's not a very good testimony. They could stumble someone else. Oh, I have liberty to drink. Well, what about the person who's struggling with a past with alcohol? What about all the people around us who are struggling to come out of substance abuse or drug addiction? And again, he says, if you're going to be serving the Lord's people, sometimes you need to be sensitive to this kind of thing. You need to esteem love and think about that. Not to mention, again, as I said, if somebody's handling money or resources or things of the Lord's work, I don't want them being drunk. I don't want somebody reconciling the church books, being half pickled. Do you? I mean, of course not. Right? You want them to be a sober-minded person, that they live a self-controlled life. He says forth in our text here, verse 8, that the deacon, the church servant, should not be greedy for money. Again, someone who has a love for money to excess, they crave more wealth. They need to be a person who has a proper regard for money. They see money as a tool. It's an instrument. It's not good nor bad. He'll talk a bit about money in an extensive way in chapter 6. We'll see more. But he says the church servant can't be the person greedy for money, making decisions driven by monetary gain. They can't be a materialistic person because they're serving the Lord's work, dealing with practical things. If their heart's not right, if their heart's not right, their stewardship will be poor and money will be misused or they'll abuse resources. They won't manage things properly. These kinds of people we want in our churches who are serving and doing the Lord's work, we don't want people who have got a greed issue, who have a money management issue. He says these will not make good church servants. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, no one can serve two masters. For you'll either hate one and love the other, you'll be devoted one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus said the person who's going to be a church servant they have to have a balanced view and be a good steward with money and respect for it. They have to have an ethical standard in their heart. Hey, these are the Lord's resources, whether it's a roll of toilet paper or whether it's a tithe. This is the Lord's, man. And so there needs to be that strong sense of reverence and ethical uh, mindset towards that. So we see here, again, the character is very important for those who are church servants. And so the Bible says to us here, it should be something we carefully consider. That the one who are church servants, they want to be respectful in the Lord's affairs. They take God's work seriously. They don't have mouth problem, God says. That they're people with integrity. They live a life of discipline. They have a proper view of money. They manage it well. He goes on, verse 9, to say also, they should be holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Now here he seems to imply that the church servant or the deacon, in verse 9 he indicates, should have also this qualification where they are people who we might say are deeply committed Christians. Not casual Christians. Certainly not carnal Christians. And we can fall into any of those categories and still be saved. But he says they're not a casual follower of Christ. They're not a carnal follower of Christ. They need to be a committed follower of Christ, to be a good, effective church servant. He says, holding on to the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Now, notice he's not speaking about those who have great faith. He's talking about the faith, definite article there. So he's describing here those who honor and uphold the Christian faith, this glorious mystery of the faith that is this unrevealed reality that came to pass through Jesus Christ and in the New Testament of being made righteous, not by religious works, 
but by grace and through faith alone, trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And those who understand this and deeply appreciate that, who display it, that they uphold their Christian life in a very serious way, they uphold a strong Christian walk. So again, these should be individuals, if they're going to serve in the Lord's work and serve in the church, that they hold very tightly to their personal commitment to Jesus Christ. They take their faith, walk with Jesus, and walking with Jesus seriously. They uphold the faith of sound doctrines biblically. They're someone who, whether they're teaching the Word of God or not teaching the Word of God, they firmly believe what the doctrines of the Bible are, and they operate according to Scripture. They know God's Word. They will stand for Scripture. They're able to share the faith with other people. And they recognize that even though they're doing practical things, the word of God is still the centrality of all that they do. Again, the underlying idea of verse 9 is conveying that deacons, those who are serving in the church, should be solid Christians. Solid Christians, committed believers, not just casual and certainly not carnal Christians. Again, we should consider this as a qualification when we give people opportunity to serve. That's why somebody should not walk through the door one Sunday, and by the end of the service, we make them an usher. No, no, we need, we need to make sure they're a committed Christian first. We need to make sure they're solid in the Lord before we entrust them with some role or responsibility. We should remember this, and if we do serve in any capacity, I think it's a reminder to all of us that our commitment to our own Christian life is the most essential thing to our foundation to serving. Please, 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 did I say please yet? Please, do not ever let serving Christ be a replacement for walking with Christ and worshiping Christ. I've seen too many times over the years people who want to serve, 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 do this, do that. I, and the other church that I pastored, we were beyond one service, we were two services, and, and I would find people sometimes, look, there's, no, there's two services. Why are you not sitting and worshiping? Why are you serving, serving, serving? And basically, serving became a replacement for worshiping. That's never going to work good. Service is not a replacement for Christian commitment and worship and walking. That's foundational. we got to be a strong Christian first. That's the basis to then give us then that secondary opportunity to then serve the Lord effectively. He says, verse 10, but let these, the deacons, the church servants, notice, first be tested. Interesting. Then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. So notice God instructs and is wise to allow, we might say, for time, a time of testing and evaluation to transpire in connection to giving people opportunity to serve within the church. He says here, let them first be tested. In other words, it's wise to give, we might say, small opportunities to serve before giving people greater responsibility. We allow them to be tested in little opportunities and occasions, or we just allow time to pass to see what just unfolds naturally as we get to know them more and we you know, bond with them as a brother or sister in Christ and we find out more about their life and how they operate. Sometimes I think it's important as church leaders too that we find ways and almost use wisdom as elders and overseers to kind of almost look for avenues to create ways to kind of let people be tested so that we can see things about their lives. That we almost purposely to some degree test them in the sense that we allow things to be known, aspects of their character. How do they handle things? How do they respond? How do they navigate things Again, are they faithful? Are they reliable when they're giving an opportunity or they're giving something to do? Do they do it reliably? Do they dismiss it, blow it off? Are they irresponsible? Again, we, we, we learn these things. Are they somebody who's just super ambitious and you know maybe when they first come in and they arrive, they're super amb ambitious, but are they consistent long-term? I mean, I've seen that so many times over the years. Somebody walks through the door, hi, good morning, it's my first morning here, and here's my resume. And, and they, they tell you all these things, and they're super, well, how can I, can I do this? Can I do that? Can I do this? Can I do that? And, and, and some people are super ambitious, but look, we're not looking for fireworks. We're looking for stars. Stars burn and give light for a long time, and they navigate and provide light for a long time. 
Some Christians, unfortunately, they just, they want to serve like fireworks. Fireworks, boom, bang, whoa, wow. But what happens with the firework? Done. You get one bang out of it. Stars provide light and stability and guidance, and they provide help for a long extended period of time, right? That's what we want in the work of the Lord, people who can do a long obedience in the same direction, that they're faithful consistently. They stay on track. You give them something, and you never even have to go look at it again, and they just faithfully keep doing it and doing it and doing it, and they're just reliable and independent. Again, this is how we learn. Are they loyal? Are they someone who you know, struggles with submission? Do they have, are they you know, evidencing arrogance? They think they're somebody special now where they're bossing people around and getting territorial and weird. Again, these are things that we evaluate to test if they can handle the work of the Lord with a pure heart. And he says, after they've been tested, if there's no credible evidence for blame, they're blameless, there's no issue. Okay, we, it looks like, looks like they're solid, man, and they're, and they're doing well. He says that then let them serve, that is, then give them greater capacity or maybe a more official role in their responsibility and what they're doing. But there's almost this idea here, if I could use this term, of almost, we might say, almost like God says, a probationary period. Allow there, allow there to be just kind of a probationary period. When people want to serve, you know, go gradually saying, let there be a probationary period. And look, if a probationary period is a good, wise, and acceptable practice in secular workplaces, how much more is that just prudent and good stewardship in the work of the Lord? That's sacred and valuable and very important in what's taking place. And in connection to that, if I can say by way of illustration, even as ongoing turnover, is that a good sign in a company? Ongoing turnover, ongoing turnover, ongoing turnover, ongoing turnover, right? That's even worse when that's happening in the church. Ongoing turnover, ongoing turnover, ongoing turnover. These leaders, get rid of them. Ongoing turnover, ongoing. Something's unhealthy there. So God says, let people be tested first. Let some things just come to the surface. And look, that's why Paul's going to say in chapter 5, don't lay hands on anyone hastily. And then he adds to that, nor you end up sharing in other people's sins. So being restrictive and patient is not unkind to gradually test people in their Christian servanthood before more fully empowering and releasing greater responsibility. It's just, God says, it's just biblical wisdom. It's just good stewardship. It's caring about his family. It's caring about the stewardship of the work of the Lord. And I don't know about you. I can say from my own personal experience, being tested in my life at times has been a good thing to develop character, to develop humility. I am so thankful that there was patience shown with me and a healthy time of preparation before more was entrusted. It was actually a safeguard and a good thing for me uh, and is a way to develop in a healthy way. He says, verse 11, going on, likewise now, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. So here's it pertains to, again, the practical ministry of serving among the church. God's word also addresses, notice now in verse 11, the ladies. Now, given the term that's used here, Bible scholars and translators kind of take a two-pronged approach here. Some translates this the wives, other translated, the women. And so the question then begins to arise, that term that was used by Paul as the Holy Spirit inspired him to write, does that refer to the qualifications of the wives of the deacons? In other words, the wives of the men who are serving in this deaconing way, the wives of male church servants that we should pay attention and look at their lives as well as qualifications, or is this referring to the ministry of a female operating in this deaconing role of serving and being a church servant in this same capacity? And the, the word is translated in, in the Greek in both ways. And in all honesty, my personal conviction, I think the language allows for both. I do think it is very wise and important when allowing men to function as church servants to also pay consideration to the condition of their wives. Because I can tell you firsthand with experience, their wife's spiritual condition will matter. It will. I have never in 
23 years of senior pastoral ministry anyway, I have never one time allowed a guy to serve on my board if I was not completely comfortable with his wife as well. Because I know how it works with my wife. My wife knows everything. Nothing's hitting, nothing's, it just, I, I don't burden her with heavy things, but she's my wife. And if someone's going to serve on the church board of overseers, they're going to hear and know a whole lot of stuff. And, and if they need to share or convey or, you know, and they're talking to their wives, I need to know <laughs> that their wife is just as safe and healthy and sound and stable as I feel that they are if they're going to function in that capacity. So again, it is important when allowing men to serve that the condition of their wife, they're, they're partners, they're two or one, and they function together. So it's very important. I also think that the New Testament, though it forbids the function of the office and role of a pastor and an elder to a female, I do think the New Testament allows for women to function in this deacon-type role in church ministry, to function in this serving capacity, doing forms of, you might say, deaconing, serving, practical ministry, serving in different capacities, Again, helping out, when you read the book of Acts as well as the book of Romans, you see women in the church referenced, not who were pastors or elders or overseers, but you see them functioning in deacon-type roles, helping with practical functions of ministry. And as I've said before, the ladies serving in church is absolutely critical to us staying alive. It is absolutely essential. The females in all the churches I've been a part of before I was a pastor and since I've been functioning, essential. The workload that ladies carry in doing things and serving in the body of Christ is incredible. And the way that they do things at times blows my mind. I mean, they pour their hearts into it. They care. It's beautiful. It's thoughtful. And so, again, this is very, very essential that the church servants be ladies empowered as well. But so whether it is the the consideration of the wife of the male church servant or whether is the consideration and reference here to the qualification of ladies who are deaconing or serving, if you would, as church servants, he says these things are important in her life as well. He says, verse 11, she must be reverent, same term as above, just like the, the, the male referred to above. She should be reverent, serious, a woman who has a reverent attitude, a reverent nature. She takes the work of the Lord, very serious. She sees the gravity of church ministry and its importance and the value and the sacredness, and she's very serious about helping and serving people. She's a well-respected, reverent woman. She's credible. She's an admired, godly woman among the church. He also says that the ladies, notice he says next, cannot be slanderers. Now, the Greek term there that's used is diabolos. Sound familiar? where we get our English word diabolical, which if you don't know what that means, that means acting like the devil. That's a strong term God used there. God says here that these ladies serving in this church servanthood manner or serving alongside their husbands who are church servants, she's not to be the type of woman who gives into the sinful temptation to let her mouth be used by the devil to speak poisonous things to talk in unhealthy ways. She cannot be a woman who has a critical mouth or is prone to slandering because that's not going to be a very good candidate for a church servant, nor is it going to be a very good support person if she has a husband who serves. One of the biggest avenues we all agree the devil travels to cause problems in the church is through what? The mouth. I mean, it is one of the highways of the devil to cause problems in churches. So ladies, by default, look, by nature, and I can say this with a degree of credibility because I had a wife and I raised three daughters, not sons. They're more verbal than me, right? So God says, look, you're verbal creatures, and that's a beautiful, wonderful thing, but God says, even though you're a verbal creature, and many times my wife could tie me in knots in a conversation verbally. I could beat her in an arm wrestling match every single day. But if we get in a verbal dialogue, forget it, man. I'm done. She will wrap me up, slam dunk, verbal, tie me in knots. I can do something completely right. She could be totally wrong. She'll prosecute me, and I'll plead guilty. I, just, I mean, it's just amazing. Women are very verbal, very skilled, but with our biggest strength is often also what? Our biggest weakness. 
So he says here, look, you got to be careful. You're going to hear things. You're going to know things. You got to have self-control. You can't let your tongue be something that the devil uses in a way where you're running your mouth and saying things you shouldn't be saying or criticizing this or gossiping about that or going and complaining to this girl. God says, don't do that. Not healthy. That's gonna, you're not going to be able to serve effectively if that's going on. He says also the lady should be temperate. The idea there is well-balanced, not given to extremes. In other words, she's a woman who exercises self-control in her behavior and her thinking. We might say, you know, temperate, she's a balanced woman emotionally, mentally, spiritually. She operates with moderation. She's stable, again, like tempered steel. That's the same term there. She, she's a stable person. And also, he says, verse 11, that she also should be noticed faithful in all things. The idea is she's a faithful, reliable, godly woman. She's just dependable. She honors the Lord in her commitment to him. She's a good steward. She attends to whatever she does well. She's just a faithful, godly woman, whether it's her walk with the Lord or her family life or responsibilities that she undertakes to serve. She just proves to be a solid, faithful Christian woman in all things. He says, these are the type of ladies, he says, that we want serving as church servants, doing the work of the Lord in ministry, supporting their husbands as they serve. Verse 12, he says also, let deacons, and now he comes back to the males once again here, be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. Now, that should sound very familiar because notice as he's talking about recruiting and evaluating church servants there, right? He uses the same language he did up above for the elders. Remember up in verses four and five, he talked about the elder needs to rule his own house well, having his children in submission, because if he doesn't know how to take care of his own family, then how's he going to take care of the bigger family, God's church? And so here he comes back to the same idea, just like the pastor or the elder needs to be a man with a healthy marriage and a good domestic life and leading his home well. He says here that the, the deacon, the church servant should be someone who's a one woman man. If you're going to serve the Lord in any capacity in this church, we want that man to be a man who's faithful to his wife, a man who's got a good, solid marriage. He's not a man who's a flirt with the ladies. He's not a pervert. He's not a schmoozer. He's not a womanizer. We don't want men like that serving. We want men who are committed to their wives, who look at other ladies as their sisters. They got a good, solid marriage. And also, he says, if they're going to do the work of the Lord, one of the best ways to prove out their leadership and their ability to be faithful and handle responsibility, he says, is they should be ruling their own children and their own houses well. In other words, proving their ability to serve and lead by how they serve and lead their own family. That they understand their fundamental ministry first, because look, we all know how a man rules his own household says a lot about that man. It says a ton about him. His wife is a reflection of how he has ministered to her and cared for her and served her, and his children are a reflection of the same thing. And so he says here, look, we don't want them distracted in church work if they haven't first learned how to rule their own children and to rule their own houses well. That should be the starting place. And from there, we say, hey, things are solid at home. Okay, great, things are solid at home. Get into the work of the Lord. Get into the work of the Lord. Because if, if those things are inverted, I tell you, I've watched people who, to the neglect of their own family, they, they feel hyper-spiritual, and they get involved in church work and this and that, and oh, I do that, and I go to this outreach. In the meantime, it's like, bro, your, your family's falling apart. What are you doing? Again, our foremost ministry is to our families. And so he says the church servants, they should be proving that by raising up godly children, leading their children. Their, as their children aren't out of control. They're ruling their own children. They've learned how to get their own children under control. They're ruling their house well. They're good, solid husbands and dads. And then he concludes, verse 13, for those who have served well as deacons, those who serve, obtain for themselves, he says, a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Jesus Christ. So here in verse 13, as he concludes the section, he talks about how God honors, and I think this is beautiful, how God honors those who serve well in their roles and responsibilities and their function of ministry and deaconing. He says, verse 13, those who serve, notice that word serve well, that's the key. 
Because that's the goal, right? The intended goal was not just to serve. It's to serve well, whatever I'm doing, whether I'm working with you know, a, a rag, cleaning something up, whether I'm vacuuming a carpet, whether I'm you know, doing any, whatever I'm doing, whether I'm ministering to children or leading music or doing AV things or doing anything, but whatever I do, I do it well. I, 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 Lord, I, this is for you. And this is important, and so they do it well. Again, that displays their ability to handle things. And look what he says. When those who are serving serve well, they inherit greater things. As they inherit a good standing, which means they develop a highly respected reputation for their good and faithful service, and great boldness. The idea there is they find themselves empowered to do greater things as God uses them in greater ways, as the Spirit works through their life. They grow in respect and they increase in confidence. And what this is speaking of, of being rewarded with greater opportunity and an increased opportunity to serve in greater capacities. And we see that pattern happening in the book of Acts. Remember Acts 6? Philip and Stephen, remember they got the opportunity to wait on tables, to do the widow's ministry? Read on. Acts chapter 7 and 8 describe these two men who were serving well as deacons and in chapter 7 and 8, they become preachers of the word of God and evangelists. And God entrusts them with a greater sphere of ministry work. In Luke 16, Jesus taught this same principle in spiritual service. He said this, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy in worldly wealth, which means money, who will trust you true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with the things of your own? So Jesus taught this principle that faithfulness begins in small matters. Nothing's insignificant. Any duty that we do, faithfulness begins in handling small matters and small duties and being faithful there. And when we are faithful in small matters, Jesus says, if we can prove faithful in small things, that's an indication we will also be faithful if we take on greater things. If we're entrusted with more responsibility, that we will be just as faithful there. And then he says, by way of reproof, if we're unfaithful in little matters, he even says there, if we're unfaithful in how we manage our money, ouch, and he says, and if you're unfaithful in managing another person's things, in other words, you're assisting them and you're unfaithful in how you're assisting them, then Jesus says, why should we expect to be given greater responsibilities or be given our own ministry or our own responsibility if we're not being faithful? Again, what is God's heart for us? Certainly that we would all be serving and finding ways to exercise servanthood but putting in a thorough effort of excellence just like Jesus did and just like we're doing it for Jesus himself. Let's stand together and pray.